Hello and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Gronwald, a real estate agent, mother of three, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband Jed. I hope you'll join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family. Because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Gronwald and Marley Thompson's here with me today and we are clients, um, friends, we've had a whole bunch of connections, it's just been really cool over the years, but I got to help them buy their first home, which was awesome, and then we've just connected on so many different levels, but one of them being intuitive eating, and she's actually the one who introduced me to it, and I really feel like it's changed my life. I, I mean, I know people say that, but I would say it really has, like it at least has changed some of those neuro pathways that they talk about that are deeply rooted in my brain that are making some differences to, um, help give me some freedom, which I think will impact my family and all of that. So I want to hear Marley a little bit about you, what you do, your family. So the audience knows, and then we're going to go through these 10 intuitive eating principles one by one and give examples of how it affects us or how it's helped us. And hopefully this will help our listeners as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. I am Marley Thompson. I am a wife to Caleb and a mom to Levi, who's about to turn one on Monday. <laughs> and I have been a um, clinical social worker. I'm provisionally licensed for a little more than two years and I work in private practice in Raleigh. So I work with um, a range of clients, but what, uh, one population I work with is uh, um, some clients that deal with disordered eating. And so this has just been a really helpful framework for me and working with my clients, especially when um, we're just pounded with a lot of information on a daily basis on what, what to eat and what not to eat. And so this really just gives a lot of language to a, just a different perspective and gets us back in touch with the things that we knew as infants and, you know, that maybe we got away from, from different reasons. So I, I'm excited to dive into this today with you, Ashley. And I love how you say that because I just watch my kids and they are natural intuitive eaters. So it's like anybody better to watch. It is your babies, your toddlers, your children, because they will leave the one bite left on their plate because they're done. They will. they will get food again. And so they're not needing to finish their plate or like my daughter was at a birthday party. She had lots of different food and then it was cupcake time. She licked the icing and said, mom, I don't want any more. And I was like, that's amazing and great. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, to stop when your body says done. So I, just, I love that. It's like, just sit back and watch your kids. They really know it best. And we used to, but we got away from it for whatever reason, our culture, our family of origin, all those things. So totally agree. And I would say I'm working through the actual intuitive eating book right now. So I haven't read the whole thing, but where I got most of my content and information from was the podcast that mm -hmm. both you and I have listened to, Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. Yeah. So great. Um, and they go through the 10 principles and I'm actually going to have one of the hosts of that show on next week. So, so exciting, a little primer and then her and I are going to dive a little deeper. So if this is helpful. Listen to next week as well. So yeah. let's jump right in because we've got short time to cover 10 principles. Yeah. I want to hear how this impacts you or any examples you have, Marley, to yeah. share with the audience. But the first one is this idea of rejecting the diet mentality. And it's mm -hmm. like, wow, that's <laughs> what we've built our 
culture on is, you know, you're on a diet or you just got off of a diet. That's what people talk about, think about, and really frame their day, their life around diets. And I am guilty to say, I have been one of those people, am one of those people, and am learning now what it means to reject that and say, no, no yeah. more. And it's, it's like listening, um, to the thoughts that are in our head that are not true, you know, and buying this lie about diet culture and what they want us to believe. And then there's all this shame associated with what you've eaten, what you want to eat, what you shouldn't eat mm-hmm. and morality around food. And so this whole concept is earth shattering in our culture to say, I'm going to stand up against it and not buy into the lie. So what about for you? Yeah, yeah. So I think this was such a foundational layer in intuitive eating because I would say stay here for a while if you are, this really turns you off to intuitive eating to just be curious about what are you holding on to that a diet may be promising you mm-hmm. that it and whether it showed up for you or not. And so like I say, be really curious in this one, maybe work with a counselor, talk with a friend and or work. So I've got the intuitive eating workbook here. Um, Elise Resch and uh, Evelyn Triboli. They are the kind of founder creators Um, and like get maybe get a workbook and work through like it walks you through your dieting history and trying to really figure out for you, has it provided for you in the way that you had hoped? Is it giving you happiness and health and and, you know, satisfaction or is it leaving you empty in a lot of ways or is it working temporarily? And then, you know, you're realizing like, Oh my goodness, I did not realize how obsessed I became with this diet. And so it ends up working against you in ways and look at the research or be curious about, you know, do in general diets quote work. And so we know, you know, a statistic that gets thrown around a lot based on, I think um, a variety of research is that 95% of diets fail. And that means that people put the weight back on that they intended to lose to begin with. And so just kind of thinking about that and, and wondering about, you know, what does health mean and really challenging, you know, cause I think people equate diet with health and really looking at health more holistically than just um, an, a number on a scale, a size and really thinking through, um, yeah, what do I want to be to be healthy? and looking at it more holistically. And that's one thing they talk about is just like health at every size. And I would say that's rejecting the diet mentality because the diet mentality has said there is a size and shape that is acceptable. And then there's a size and shape that is not acceptable. And it's very definitive black or white. And that is not true for the way God designed our bodies. And the perfect example is what size shoe are you, Marley? (laughs) Like a seven, I don't know, maybe seven and a half, maybe not. (laughs) And I'm an eight and we don't argue with that. Like I'm not trying to fit into a size six shoe. God made my foot a size eight and it's a size eight and yours is seven, seven and a half. And it's not something we argue with. We may not love it. We may wish we had bigger or smaller feet, but it is what it is. We wouldn't try and force our feet into three sizes, smaller or bigger shoe. And so why do we do that with our body? Yeah. And saying this body should look different. And now I know why. I mean, we we're bombarded with these images yeah. of perfection that say that's what beauty is. That's what worth um, comes from. Mm-hmm. But that's where you have to start un- unrattling the lie and going back like in the workbook that they have on the intuitive eating for Christian women, they have a workbook that I work through. And it's like going back to, you know, when I was a little girl listening to things 
that people were saying or the diets of that time. At that time, it was like fat-free. That was the culture I grew up in was fat-free. Now we live in a high-fat, low-carbohydrate. And so it's like you have to think back to where did these messages start? Where do they originate? And how have they played out for you? Like you said, how are they working for you? If you look at the history of your life, probably not well. They've left you deprived, anxious, embarrassed, uh, shameful, missing out on life experiences. And I'm the first to raise my hand and say, I've missed out on a ton because of the diet mentality. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, Ashley. I think a lot of people can relate to that. We've seen this in ourselves and yeah, I think it's just have an honest assessment of how it's, how it's worked in your life and what it's kept you from. Also, you can also honor how it's, you know, served you in some way. Um, mm-hmm. But looking at it and with a full honest assessment is really important. And I think yeah. you've done that. <laughs> well, moving on to the next one, since yeah. we got communities, honor your hunger. And this again, love the, I, I love every principle. You'll hear me say it every time, yeah. but this one is so good because it goes against rules that I had in my mind of like, you know, now the intermittent fasting is so popular. Yeah. I jumped on that bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that that is a slippery slope to disordered eating yeah. or for someone who already struggles with disordered eating to keep me in bondage to disordered eating. Yeah. So it's not a place for me to play. It's very dangerous for me. Yeah. Um, and so the, the idea of honoring your hunger. So if you wake up and you're hungry, you should fuel your body. Mm-hmm. Just like your kids do. And it's so yeah. funny. I love to watch them. Some mornings they eat more. Other mm-hmm. mornings they eat less. And yeah. there's variety. Yeah. And they leave some behind. So it's like honoring that. Yeah. Um, and not looking at the clock and thinking, oh, it's not noon yet. I can't have lunch. Why mm-hmm. am I hungry? I just had a snack. It's like allowing your body to communicate to you its needs yeah. on its individual basis and knowing that each day. Mm-hmm. may look different and don't be alarmed by that. Yeah. And so you're building trust back with your body by giving it food when it needs it. Yeah. And then you stop thinking about food until the next time your body says you need it. Cause if you constantly are at a feeling of hunger, yeah. you think about it the entire day, which is miserable. When am I going to get the next food? What am I going to eat? Is it going to be accessible? But if you fuel yourself, to fullness, then you can stop thinking about that, focus on the other things and move on. What, how has honor your hunger been a principle that has been helpful? Yeah. Yeah. I think you touched on a lot of it. Um, I think that, yeah, the dieting thing we talked about before gets in the way of us being in touch with that. So it does take some work to work through, to get in touch with that sense that we have, that we've maybe numbed, or maybe we have some beliefs about hunger that, um, you know, I shouldn't be hungry or, you know, I, this mentality around earning food that may not be helpful. So there's many things that can get in the way of that. And so learning to identify those and then work through them and yeah. And just being able to, to work through it and notice too, like there's also different types of hunger, you know, and there's situational hunger, you know, maybe it's a meal that you don't have often. Thanksgiving is a common example of that. You just don't make all those foods or don't have access to them on a regular basis. So maybe, you know, honoring your hunger in that scenario looks different than honoring your hunger on a, a daily basis. And so, you know, respecting that and, and being grateful for it and working through it. Um, there was one, oh, the starvation study is what I was thinking of when you were talking about the fixation on food and what we have seen from research. It was, I think, 
think it was a post-World War II study. It was young men. They put on a semi-starvation diet and they found that they became obsessed with food. And so, you know, knowing that they weren't honoring their hunger, they were on a semi-starvation diet, actually backfired and made them more obsessed with food and it controlled them. So just kind of thinking about that perspective too. And yeah. I remember that article or that study, just the men being obsessed with um, magazines, recipes that dealt with food. And I just thought, gosh, that's us. When we are depriving ourselves, we come overly fixated on whatever that is, whether it's cooking or just being around food. Yeah. I think of myself as a waitress. I remember loving and hating that because I was so close to it, but it was like, I was keeping yeah. myself from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just feeling overly fixated on yeah. it because when you deprive yourself, all of a sudden your body is now yearning for the thing that you've said no to. Yeah. Which is really actually cool in a lot of ways because it's our body's way of sur- wiring us for survival right. and the way God designed our bodies to be wired for survival. And so in a way it's really neat that it does that, but it's also just a way. Yeah. It's awakening to think about like, Oh, yeah. I caused this obsession. Yes. Yeah. So principle three is make peace with food. I love this because I think for anyone who's, succumb to the diet mentality realizes that there is no peace with food. It is a love hate. It is a war. It is a battle of the wills. And so this idea of making peace with food, taking morality away from it, allowing yourself to have any and all foods, restricting nothing um, and allowing our bodies to actually communicate their desire, its desire and Mm -hmm. honoring that are all ways to make peace with food. And I will be the first to say, this is so scary and hard because again, the neuro pathways in my brain are so deep from years, decades Mm -hmm. of believing truth about food that were lies. And so whatever those scary foods are, or those forbidden foods or the bad foods, you have to rework all of that. And I love what they talk about in their book. It's just like food is food, period. It is not good. It is not bad. It just serves our body. Now God did design it so that we could enjoy it, Mm -hmm. but there's no morality. And, and they even argue that like a Twinkie versus a kale smoothie, but there's not one better than the other because it just, in that moment, it depends on what your body wanted, needed, like you said, situational hunger, all those other factors. And I think the one that's closest to home for me, and I saw this somewhere, it was a stat or an article that was just saying that, you know, gluten-free, a gluten-free diet was the newest form of an eating disorder. Like it was the most new eating disorder, but labeled in a way that looks like health. And that's where you have to have a filter that recognizes. And again, I've been on that bandwagon, not because I needed to, I had no issue celiac or any gut issues with gluten, but it became the forbidden food. And again, kept me in that downward spiral of an eating disorder versus realizing um, that my body may need that, may want that and honoring that and making peace with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're getting at a lot of stuff that I'll just follow up with. There's some, a phrase or not a phrase, I guess like a, a mantra in some ways of like the only foods that we shouldn't eat are foods that have gone bad, expired foods you don't like. And foods maybe you're allergic to or can't tolerate for some reason. And other than that, you know, I'll leave convictions up to people. But other than that, like all foods fit 
And so trying to figure out there's different purposes in foods and also understanding the psychology behind it of habituation. So that's the idea that when we expose and allow ourselves to eat foods that we maybe previously deemed bad or a treat, um, we actually come to find out that we can take it or leave it at times. And so the more we expose ourselves to that food, it's when we put these foods in hierarchical categories that they become more desirable. And so if you have that, that friend or maybe yourself say like, I can't keep that food in the house, I would say try to keep that food in the house for a period of time. See what happens. Um, a common experience, a common example is leftovers. You could have your favorite meal left over in the fridge. And if you eat it for a week straight, not only is it not going to taste as good because maybe it's been in the fridge, but also you're going to probably realize like, okay, I've had enough of that this week. I'm, I'm, you know, at first maybe you ate all of it that you could. And then you realize, you know what, actually I'm, I'm okay. And so allowing yourself to have that permission takes away that like vicious cycle of like, I can't have it. Then I eat, get access. And then I eat as much as I, as I can because I never know when I'm getting it again. Right. And you know, that's just not a fun play cycle to be in. So if you give yourself permission, you know, you'll get it again. Right. And I think that's where our kids know they're going to get whatever that food is again. So they don't feel this need or desire yeah. to overeat it now yeah. or to be afraid of it because they can't trust themselves with it. Yeah. So I think Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. So principle four is challenge the food police. And gosh, I have this food police, you know, on my shoulder talking to me, barking these ridiculous lies all day long, every day. And I think if anybody, you know, sat in my mind all day, they'd be like, that's exhausting. Like mm -hmm. literally the food police. And, you know, Jed would be the first to say whenever he wants to go on some form of diet, let's say, yeah. I become the food police for him. I'm like, you said you weren't eating that. Are you going to eat that? You said you were only going to, you know, and it's awful. It's like the food police that I hear in my head comes out verbally. <laughs> him, the poor guy. So you can imagine he doesn't like to diet and, and uh, that, you know, um, yeah. so challenging the food police is like not believing that voice in your head. That's telling mm -hmm. you about a certain yeah. food or the quantity you should have eaten or shouldn't have eaten. Yeah. Um, and it's like, if you always were living with your personal trainer or your nutritionist and, you know, they were constantly telling you, oh, you shouldn't be eating that. Oh, you shouldn't be sitting on the couch. Just constantly pointing out your faults. Yeah. How do you live like that? And so yeah. I think the reality is, is if you're deep into diet culture, which a lot of people will be, you have to start with just hearing the voice that you hear and recognizing it and saying, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think as time passes, those will become quieter and quieter to where you don't hear them. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that's the way it is for Erin, who's going to be on next week is like, mm -hmm. she still hears them every once in a while, but it's yeah. like, whatever I yeah. hear you, but it means nothing to me. Is that similar for you, Marley? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something I work with a lot of people on too, is like, how do we recognize this voice that might be kind of trying to tell you certain things and how do we work to view, like question it, doubt it, and then shift it to something that's based in more truth. And also like, that's where it's important for some people to work with a, a you know, a nutritionist that specializes in eating disorders, whether they have a full blown eating disorder or not, um, or someone who specializes in intuitive eating, because they can really work with you to myth bust things that you may have been told and try to help you see your blind spots in certain areas. And so, yeah, like, I think it's important to yeah work through this in understanding where these come from and how do these thoughts affect my feelings and my choices 
and yeah, really examining what rules and things that you may have. I think um, people who deal with perfectionist tendencies, really, this is hard because the food police is there to kind of keep you in line with your, you know, your goals of, you know, what is righteous or perfect or good. And so, you know, challenging the food police helps you look at the air, the gray areas. And so, yeah. That's so good. So the next principle five out of 10 is feel your fullness. And one thing I did love, and they're very clear, like this is not a diet program. These are principles to live by. Mm -hmm. And so this principle of feel your fullness, they said, this isn't eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Cause they're like, that's more diet rules. And that is not intuitive eating because like you said, there's situational hunger where at Thanksgiving, you may eat past what is normal fullness for you because situationally you're choosing in that moment yeah. to eat more because you're surrounded with friends that you love. And this is a nice time and you're enjoying the food and you're making the conscious choice versus just stuffing your face to, you know, we're, you know, numb away the pain or the sorrow or yeah. the disappointment. And Charlie on the podcast talks about that a lot too. It's like, this isn't just perfection of I stopped exactly when I was full and I only ate when I was hungry, but honoring these different hungers that are emotional. And and she says like, you don't want to use food as your only source of emotional comfort, but you might use it and use it as a tool that's helpful not to where you eat the whole pan of brownies and then you feel sick for the rest of the day. That you quickly, that didn't work well, but you may go and say, I'm going to have a chocolate chip cookie. That's going to give me a very short hit of maybe just release of some chemicals to feel good. And then I'm going to go out for a walk, deal with some of that emotional stress I'm experiencing and then get back to it. So it's a tool thing that you use as the only, you know, means of dealing with emotional struggles. And so this is actually thinking through fullness, um, experiencing that sensation of being full rather than like I used to do, cause I wasn't, I didn't trust that signal was to say, this is how much I'm allotted. This is how much I'm allowed to have yeah. and feeling shame. If it was, you know, if I had wanted more or yeah. if I did have a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I think you covered that one, Ashley. That one's yeah. Knowing the nuances of fullness too. It's not black or white. It's not hungry or full. It's like, you know, there's different levels and being able to get in touch with those again and appreciate the different levels and learn from them. Um, yeah. I think you covered that one really well. Awesome. Well then why don't you do the sixth one, discover the satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. So this has been described too as like the hub of the intuitive eating wheel because satisfaction is a like, kind of central factor in food because it kind of encompasses a lot of the things it encompasses, you know, you know, you, like you were talking about food and emotions and, um, and fullness and, you know, yeah, getting what your, your needs met. And so, you know, this also helps us get away from where diet mentality has caused us to feel guilt and shame at times about the foods we eat. And so discovering the satisfaction helps you get back in touch with knowing it's okay to enjoy and honor the, the, yeah, the enjoyment of food and the pleasure that comes with food. Um, and knowing that God gave us food to be pleasurable and that is good and being thankful for it. So I think, yeah, just honoring that one is, is a new one to try to work through for a lot of people. And I would say in the throes of my historical struggle with this, I didn't want to be in social settings where food was a central piece that was annoying to me. Mm -hmm. I, 
I despise when people would talk about food as satisfying, like, oh, that was so good. Or did you taste that to die? Like that stuff drove me crazy. And now I know why, because I wasn't experiencing it. I'm like, you're enjoying something that I'm not allowing myself to. Yeah. You know, so it's like somebody having this great experience on a roller coaster and I really want to go, but I don't go. And they're talking about it with, you know, in front of me and I'm angry. Yeah. Um, And I think they talk about that too. Just people who are stuck in the diet mentality will often remove themselves from these eating settings because of the temptation, the shame, or they don't trust themselves. They don't want to be seen eating certain foods, all of those things. And so just checking those, like, are those things that are keeping you from either enjoying people, which is, you know, awful to miss that, miss out on that. And then to miss out on actually being satiated. And I think research shows this too. Like if you are not satisfied with the food you're eating, you will keep trying to get satisfied from something else until you've eaten way more than you probably would have if you just got the thing your body was asking for. Totally. Totally. Yep. So number seven, cope with your feelings without using food. I talked a little bit about this. What do you have to share about that? Yeah, I was just thinking, I agree. Like, I think anytime it's your, any anytime anything is your only coping skill, you might need to reevaluate your coping skills. So, you know, knowing that, yeah, food has an emotional component. I think, again, looking at babies, they nurse or feed for comfort sometimes, and that's okay. And so allowing that to be, but also knowing that, yeah, if it's become your only coping skill, or it's leading to guilt and shame that comes from, then it might be time to reevaluate and try to figure out what are my triggers? What emotions am I most likely to go to food for? Um, and trying to work with maybe a counselor or work through something using resources to try to build those coping skills and know those vulnerabilities. And also knowing like other vulnerabilities, not, um, not just emotions, but you know, am I sleep deprived? Am I, getting adequate nutrition? Am I working too much in stress? And are those vulnerabilities um, areas where I need to practice more self-care? So it's, yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. Just considering all of your different coping options, not allowing food to be the only one. Let it be a tool. Yeah. Consciously choose it. Don't mindlessly eat out of the chip bag until you feel awful. Right. Choose it, but then also choose some other journaling, reading, walk, hot shower, those types of things. Absolutely. Principle eight is respect your body. Um, And this is the thought that your body is not a project. It's not to be abused, whipped into submission. Our body was uniquely, creatively, and beautifully designed by God. Even if it's different than what culture says is the standard, Mm -hmm. even if it's different than what your preference is, Mm -hmm. it is a masterpiece of the Lord. And so for us to not respect it is honestly going against the creator saying, I don't, I don't like your, your artistic talent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good summary. And just adding to that, it can be, you know, respecting your body can look so many different ways and it looks different for each person. And so really, really recognizing the nuances to that and knowing it can be behavioral or it can be the way you view your body or, um, yeah, I think it can look so many different ways, but I think ultimately just trying to respect it, knowing that it's, yeah, part of God's creation. Right. And I think where it comes up for me is just like the whipping it into submission or like, you know, Charlie talks about it a lot of like just intense exercise to the point, like, did it count? Was it hard enough? Did I feel like I worked out 
you know, just intensely enough, like thinking through it. And sometimes, sometimes that's enjoyable. You like that, you want that, but other times you're doing it for an ulterior motive. And whenever that's the case, if it's to lose weight or change your body, that's when we have left the respect and we have come into trying to control in a way that's not honoring. Yeah. Two more principles here. Number nine, exercise, feel the difference. So we've kind of jumped into that. What would you share about that? Yeah, I would say really just try to push back on the things and rules of diet culture or just society that are telling you that you have to do movement a certain way and figure out what things are enjoyable for you and not having a strict definition of what exercise is. How can I move my body in a way that gives me energy that sometimes it, you know, maybe sometimes you want to push yourself. That's different. Um, and also, yeah, doing something that's sustainable. Anytime we exercise from a place of punishment or consequence or, uh, trying to make up for something, it's not the most sustainable and it's not getting at the purpose of exercise and movement. So, um, yeah, trying to having a paradigm shift there. Yes. So good. And then the last one, gentle nutrition. And they say that this is the 10th one on purpose because it's probably the most difficult to implement Mm -hmm. um, because you're throwing away so much of the old thinking. And this is allowing a little bit back in. And that's why they use the word gentle. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's where it's like, you know, for you, if you find that there are certain foods that you don't, you know, love the way you feel when you eat them or different types of things that your body says yes or no to, like you may individually, not because of a rule, not because you're trying to manipulate or change anything about your body, but just your awareness of how it impacts you have made decisions around that food and choosing, making conscious decisions, but for the right motivation. And that's my understanding with gentle nutrition. And for me at the stage I'm at, I don't feel like I'm ready to enter that because I think it's too close to going back yeah. to rules. And so I'm not there yet, mm-hmm. but how, how do you see that working for other people? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're summarizing that really well and, and recognizing, yeah, it is the 10th for a reason because yeah, it can be really tempting to go back into rules and mm-hmm. um, following those instead of thinking about all the other principles that are very important. But yeah, it's, I think this one is the one that people that are really like well, intuitive eating just means that you just, you know, throw it all out the window. And it's like, it's actually very conscientious of what foods pair well together, nutrition science, and you know, what, you know, our brain needs to function, our bodies need to function, mm-hmm. and how to, you know, build a plate that gives you sufficient fuel and adequate uh, vitamins and nutrients. So it's not saying that that doesn't matter. It's saying it does matter. It's, and it, I like the gentle aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, let's inform ourselves, but let's not, this is not the only principle. This is one of 10. Right. And so I think, yeah, I think you have a lot of wisdom too, Ashley, in discerning that like, yep, not ready for that one quite yet. So holding off on that one until you've maybe really worked through the other ones and then adding that in of like, okay, yeah, what foods, like I noticed that, you know, these two things together didn't hold me over. Um, And so I realized I need to add something in. It's a, I, so I view it a lot as like, what can I add in? Hmm. Not what can I take out? Diet culture usually says, what can I take out? Mm -hmm. This says, yeah. What can I add to what I'm already taking in? Yeah. I think the example they give is like, 
you know, they have donuts at the office and you're like, that looks good, but I'm not going to be able to eat for a while. I know that donut's not going to hold me over. I'm going to have the donut, but I did pack a uh, yogurt. So I'm going to eat the yogurt too, because that's going to sustain me. I still get what I'm craving or desiring. Yeah. Also being logical of that's not going to hold me over. So I like the add in versus diet culture eliminating or restricting. So that's so good. Well, we did it. We got through all 10. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I hope that this was helpful that you'll check out the podcast, that you will check out the book, the workbooks. There's so many different resources out there. Um, And then listen next week to hear from Aaron, who's going to speak a a little bit deeper into each of these. So thanks, Marley, for sharing your experience with it. And I'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home where it all begins.